Genesis chapter 1. We'll begin with verse 27. It's a short reading today. It'll just be a couple verses there and then uh, one verse from chapter 2. It's the first chapter of Genesis, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the earth, birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. Now Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. All right. It's the last week. Some of y'all are breathing a sigh of relief just at the sound of that. Last week in this Triggered series, some of y'all have been so triggered through this whole thing, I'm surprised you're still showing up. But thank you for your patience and your grace through this. Uh, we started back at the beginning of July with uh, talking about sexuality and traditional marriage and gender. And we've, we've discussed all that we've, uh, and, and a lot more along the way. And uh, so this week we wrap things up. Uh, talking about the environment, which uh, has become something of a hot topic of its own and uh, very politically uh, involved now. It's funny how politics can come to encompass everything, even the very earth, <laughs> even the air that we breathe is politicized. And, and so today we're going to talk a little bit about the environment and what should a Christian believe about that? How should we interact with this topic when it comes up and with our friends and family or co-workers or different things like that? So, look, I don't know about your generation and when you grew up, but Julie and I were talking and when we grew up, our generation got bombarded with uh, environmental awareness in a way that I don't think that the generations before us did. I remember in elementary school, uh, receiving booklets that talked about conserving water and you know turn off the water while you brush your teeth turn it back on to rinse off your toothbrush you know little things about how we could you know avoid uh, you know don't flush the toilet till the end of the week no that wasn't it. <laughs> that wasn't one of them uh, but another big thing was littering right litter litter was becoming a, a big topic back in the 80s in fact uh, when I was in elementary school, they came out with the don't mess with Texas, right? I wasn't even in Texas, but I drove through Texas. And you'd see the signs of, you know, don't mess with Texas. And that's what the campaign was about, was litter. And other states came up with their own thing. Did y'all have one here? No, you weren't as cool as Texas? Sorry. <laughs> I just say, not catchy, we'll just find you. You're just... Um, so I grew up in that generation and I grew up in a family that, you know, we didn't litter and we kind of, you know, there was some annoyance when you saw litter on the side of the road, like why would people do that? Like even if you didn't care about the environment, why would you just want to trash things up, you know? And so I kind of, I grew up just in this generation and I just assumed that especially everyone my age and younger ought to know better. And so you can imagine my shock 
and Julie's shocked when we were sitting, I don't even know why we were sitting. We were sitting out in a parking lot of a grocery store. Maybe we were selling something on Craigslist or something, I don't know. So we were sitting there waiting for something, waiting for somebody. And this guy pulls his car up, and he was probably younger than we are by a little bit. And he, I don't know, his family went in to shop for groceries maybe, and he thought this was a good chance to clean out my car. And he opens the doors of his car out here in the middle of the parking lot. And like, have you ever seen a dog that's digging and the dirt flies between its back legs? You know, that's kind of what it looked like. Like trash just flying out of his car. Like, like, the, like the whole parking lot was his dumpster. And, and we, like, I almost made, would have made a citizen's arrest. But uh, I was in shock. Like, I just hadn't seen blatant littering like that in so long, especially from someone, like I said, in my generation that grew up with all that. And you, I mean, even if your parents didn't teach you better, you ought to know better. Today, everything from recycling to uh, carbon emissions and all these things occupy our minds, occupy the news occupy conversations sometimes and unfortunately it's become very politicized and we've got a, a right and left thing it's almost like uh, at least the narrative is that the left end of our political spectrum cares about the world and the environment and the right end doesn't and sometimes people on both ends of that spectrum seem to prove that true but what is what is supposed to be our take as, as Christians, as believers? Does, does scripture say anything about the environment? Should it inform in any way our actions, what we do uh, personally, and, and how we interact with others on this topic? So through this series, we've been trying to figure out, you know, what is the orthodox Christian teaching? What is the, the fundamental Christian teaching? The, the one that most Christians hold to and have for a long time in which we also hold to as a church that practices orthodox teaching. And so I've looked at scripture and tried to find the ones that had to do with this and we're back in Genesis again. We've been in Genesis a lot through this series. It's interesting that a lot of the fundamentals when you get back to it have to do with God's creation, why he created, how he created, uh, what he created us for. And a lot of that is traced back to Genesis and affirmed, uh, those narratives were affirmed by Jesus and his apostles. <clears throat> but we find in these ancient, ancient stories, older than, older than we know, because the oldest uh, recordings of them that we have on paper are a lot newer. Those documents are a lot newer than the stories that they record. And these have been passed down through oral tradition before writing was even an option. Uh, there's a lot that we wish we knew more about these. And yet we have them and we're thankful for them. And we're taught in the passages we read just a moment ago that God created humankind in his own image. And we've talked a lot about that. We've talked about that he created us male and female. And that he blessed them and he said... Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And so when humankind was created, they were also given a job assignment, a job description, a purpose. 
This is repeated in the separate account in Genesis 2, where the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. We talk a lot in Christian circles sometimes about being stewards. And usually we talk about stewardship in the sense of what we do with our finances, right? That we ought to be good stewards of God's resources. And when God entrusts things to you, you should invest them according to what he would want. And so sometimes we talk about, we, you know, if we talk about money, we're talking about, look, all this is God's. And whatever portion of God's that you have, you should be a good steward of it. And not just think, what do I want to do with this money? But think, what would God want me to do with this money? Certainly he would want me to take care of my family. But are there kingdom things that he would want me to do with it as well? Should it all be invested in, in my future security or even in uh, recreation and things like that? Or, or should part of it be set aside for his purposes? Should I give a percentage of it back to him to, in recognition that this is all yours, God? But that, should that be all that I do? And so we've talked a lot about stewardship from a financial standpoint. But I think a lot of times we forget that we were entrusted with another stewardship. That in fact, all the earth and the air and the birds in the air and the fish in the sea, all of it, all the land, everything was given unto us, not as a gift of now it's yours, but as a this is mine, God says, I want you to take care of it. I want you to rule over it in my name. This is what the image of God, bearing the image of God, as we talked about, is a reflecting of God into the world, into creation. We were created to reflect God's purposes into his created world. We were uh, the image bearers of God. We were the, uh, call us the middleman, if you will. Call us the managers, call us the stewards. But we were given an assignment at creation to care for the world. Now, we know that we rejected God's plan, that we pursued our own way, that we decided we wanted to decide what our job description looked like and what was good and what was bad to be our to become like God ourselves we call that sin and sin had a lot of repercussions down through the ages sin obviously has led to a lot of brokenness for us but it's also wrecked and broken creation itself and what's a great mystery to us and yet is also evident to us. But because of this job assignment given to us at the beginning, I think that it's easy to say, easy to say that no one, no one should be more devoted to the best possible care of the environment, as they call it, of the world, of the earth, of the sea, of the waters, of the plants, of the animals. No one should be more devoted to the care for these things than a Christian should. Given what our original assignment was. And if anything, we are a people who believe that in spite of sin that corrupted us and the world, 
Jesus came and died and rose again so that we might become what he intended us to be again. That we might be set free from that sin to live his way of life. To be truly human again as was intended at creation. And so surely if we're trying to recapture what it means to be human as God intended it, part of that would be reclaiming our job description. Right? Reclaiming our role as caretakers, as ones who are stewards of God's good creation. So I'll say it one more time. No one should be more devoted to the, possible, to the best possible care of the environment than Christians. But let me also clarify, you will find people who are more radical about it. No one should be more devoted, but I would suggest that you will find people who are more radical about the care of the environment. And I can think of at least a couple reasons why you'll find that, and maybe this will clarify what I mean. No one should be more devoted than we are, but some will be more radical about it. And that's partly because, first of all, Christians are not pantheists. I don't know if you're familiar with that term, but a a pantheist is someone who worships creation. Worships created things. Worships the earth. Uh, And there's people today who still do that. It's gone on for a long time. It's uh, one of our tendencies as sinful humans is to worship the created things rather than the creator himself. And so there's always been people who worship the earth or worship things in the earth, who worship animals, uh, rocks, trees, special places. It comes in lots of different forms. These days you won't find probably many people in our culture who would say, yep, I'm a pantheist. You know, like, they don't check that box on the survey. But, when you look at their priorities and what they deify, what they worship, you can see that they are pantheists. They, they worship creation in a way that creation wasn't meant to be worshipped. Creation was meant to point us to the Creator and to tell us things about our Creator and lead us to worship the Creator, not to be worshipped itself. And so you'll find people who are more radical than us. Instead of worshipping creation, I thought of this sort of illustration that made sense in my head. Imagine that the, uh, the most powerful man in the world came and brought you, what kind of car do you think the most powerful man in the world would drive? I don't know, something really fancy, right? Uh, about two steps up from a Tesla or something. Alright, so he brings you this incredible car that's, there's only one made. It was handmade by Henry Ford himself brought back from the dead or something. I don't know. The most powerful man in the world has this amazing car And he gives it to you and he says, look, I'm going on vacation. So I don't want this to just sit in the garage. I need you to take it for a spin every now and again, okay? Just take it around the block, but don't get a scratch on it. So that's different than if if the car was 
the most powerful man on the earth, right? Like if you were given a god to, to handle, how would you treat it? Versus if someone powerful gave you something to care for. That's the difference that we're talking about when we talk about um, that we're devoted to caring for something, deeply devoted, but we're not going to be as radical as someone who thinks that the car is the God, right? That the car is the most powerful entity on the planet. So it's a little bit different. But I tell you, if I got behind the wheel of a car of the most powerful man on the planet who told me not to get a scratch on his car, I would drive that sucker very carefully. <laughs> I would take good care. I'd be scared to wash it, scared to wax it. What if I scratch it? I would do the best that I could. Christian's role as stewards is a little bit like that. Except we're not just scared of God. We know his love for us. So that gives us confidence that we might not other have, otherwise have. And yet, still, this earth is his car. We're just taking it for a spin. And we should care for it Likewise. So the second reason that you'll find more people, uh, some people who are more radical about the environment than, than we might be, uh, but not more devoted, surely, is that because Christians value human life more than the rest of creation. And that's because the Creator did. And when we read again the narrative in Genesis that you know, ends, it's in chapter 1, uh, when he finishes this creation of mankind, he says he saw that it was very good. Now everything else he had created, he said it was good. But when he got done with humankind, he said it was very good. And not only that, in the second account of his creation of mankind, he breathes on mankind. He forms them from the dust with his hands and breathes life into them in a way that he didn't do with the rest of creation. There's something special about humankind, we believe, as Christians, that God set us apart from the rest of creation. And so that informs how we interact with this topic of the environment and of our care for the world. We are, should be, fiercely devoted to caring for the world and for the environment. But at the same time, sometimes we seem less radical about it because we value human life over the rest of creation. Now what exactly that means and how that informs the way you vote uh, will vary from person to person, no doubt. But you can see the difference, right? Because there's people in the world, and some of us sometimes have to be confronted about this. Because it's easy to look at the creation, the the world as, as kind of an innocent victim and human beings as the perpetrators of the crimes against the world. And there's truth in that. It's easy for people to say, look, animals, you know, dogs, cats especially. I don't see as many people worked up about yaks, but they get worked up about dogs and cats and they say, you know, look, these precious animals have done nothing. They're innocent. The only ones that are messed up or, you know, mean or whatever that are, seem to be the ones that people have made mean, you know. It's uh, people that are the problem. 
And so they value you know, animal life over human life. That's radical in our book. That's a step farther than what we can go because we believe that God holds human life as something different, distinct, unique, special. Jesus did not shed his blood directly for the earth or for plants or for animals, but for humankind. Now, indirectly, for all of creation. Because when we are made right, then creation will benefit. I'm going to share with you some other passages, maybe things that you didn't know that Scripture talks about with regard to the earth and land. Some of it was interesting to me. Maybe it'll be interesting to you. Did you know that people aren't the only things needing to be redeemed from the effects of sin? Even in the Old Testament, like Leviticus chapter 25, it said, The land must not be sold permanently because the land is mine, and you are but aliens and my tenants. Throughout the country that you hold as a possession, you must provide for the redemption of the land. Which, redeeming from, uh, because just a, that was a reminder to the people that this is mine, says the Lord. This is mine. It's not yours. So every now and then you're going to give it back to me. And that theme of redemption from sin, um, a theme of redemption from sin also comes up a little bit later. Did you know that worked into the Jewish Old Testament laws were commands that required the land to get a rest from the human drive to prosper? Every now and then, they had to not plant and let the field rest. I don't know how well that, I mean, I call myself a capitalist. I want you to know up front. But I'm not sure how well that works with capitalism or exactly how it works with capitalism. At least greedy capitalism. Right? That sometimes the land needs a rest from the human drive to prosper. Sometimes the dollar in our economy has become more important to us than creation. Now again, that's a, a thing to balance because people and people's livelihoods matter. We need to be able to feed people. We need to be able to uh, you know, take care of people and lift people out of poverty and those kinds of things. At the same time, if all we care about is money, then we'll tear the world apart eventually. If, we all, if all we care about is money now. See, what I think God knew that we sometimes forget is that if you burn up the land in your attempt to make more money now, it's not going to be good long term. Right? If we, if we mess up the earth now to make a few extra bucks, eventually that's going to catch up to us. I think God's wiser about that sort of thing than we are. Did you know that Scripture also includes laws for the humane treatment of animals? You'll find this in the Old Testament law. Uh, laws protecting donks, donkeys and oxen, uh, who were, were their work animals, right? Animals that were worked. Uh, commands like not muzzling an ox while it works. 
Like you're so greedy that while you're harvesting, you don't want the ox up there in front getting food that you're supposed to be trying to harvest back here, you know, as he's pulling the plow or whatever he's pulling. Um, so God said, no, don't muzzle, let the ox eat as he goes. You're still going to get plenty. <laughs> Relax about the little bit that the ox is going to eat while he's working for you. Take care of your animals. If you see someone's donkey in trouble, go help him get it out of trouble. Did you know that God has words of judgment for those who defiled the land? In Jeremiah, the prophet said, I brought you into a fertile land to eat its fruit and rich produce, but you came and defiled my land and made my inheritance detestable. Did you know that when God passed judgment on sinful nations and later even against sinful Israel, part of their crimes or the effects of their crimes were against the very land that they inhabited. It seems that the very creation suffered under their sinfulness. And this was sometimes given as part of the reason that these people had to be removed, wiped out from the land to give the land a break, to redeem it, to purify it once again, to let it recover from their sinfulness. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament says that all of creation, which has been suffering with us from sin's consequences since the fall of mankind, has been waiting and groaning for Christ's return. Just as we as Christians are to be waiting and watching with expectation for His return, longing for His returning. He says all of creation is longing for His return. Did you know that, according to Revelation, judgment awaits those who destroy the earth? That those who destroy the earth will be destroyed. Jesus himself said that his followers would inherit the earth. What kind of inheritance do we want? What should we do about this? It seems that in some way our sinfulness affects the earth. Uh, we have a tendency to get so caught up in, again, you know, pursuing money or wealth or just whatever is going on in our life and our busy lives and we forget about uh, our interaction with the earth, with the creation the plants, the animals, the things that God entrusted to our care in the beginning, but which through sin we've often neglected. What should we do? Again, I believe that no one should be more devoted, based on all this scripture, to the care for the environment than Christians should be. Now, unfortunately, we live in a weird, weird time where all this has been politicized. And so it's easy to react to the political part of it and forget how important this should be to us. I think at a personal level, like what should we do? Uh, we should be on the lookout for what we can do. Right? I mean, 
If you think it'll help to recycle, you should recycle. If you think it would help to cut off the water for a minute while you brush your teeth, cut off the water for a minute. If you can install windows that would use less energy, uh, do it. You know, if you, uh, if, you, if you can get a toilet that flushes less water down the, you know, do it. There's, it's easy to say, look, I'm one tiny drop in a seven and a half billion bucket, you know. And look at what those other countries are doing and all that. But as far as you and I, the most control that we have is over ourselves. So can you turn off the light when you're done using that room? Hadley, Peter, can you? Are you listening somewhere? Can you switch over to LEDs? I don't know. What can you do? It should be, we should be motivated by more than our light bill. More than our energy bill, right? Uh, you know, in West Monroe, we feel this issue. Uh, we often say that the paper mill might smell like money. <laughs> but it also used up a whole bunch of water. I think they've heard that they uh, are doing better about recycling water and that kind of thing out there now. That's good. But every time you pour a glass of water in West Monroe you're reminded that we haven't always been the best stewards of the resources that God's given to us. Can we take better care of animals? I was thinking about this and I was thinking about boys in particular because boys and animals and the animal kingdom and boys have an interesting relationship sometimes. You uh, girls will often shake their heads at things that boys will do with animals, and they're like, "Why would you do that?" Boys are weird. We're a little weird. Um, I when I I'll just confession time. When I was a, a little boy, elementary age, let's say. I am not proud of this memory, but I remember taking a little roly-poly and bouncing it off the garage door <laughs> to try to see how far it would ricochet off, I guess. I don't, I don't know what I thought was great about that, but I'm, you know, boys are kind of like that, right? If, if you've known very many boys, there's a lot of, like, you know, they'll do weird things with insects and, you know, magnifying glasses or, it's just. So Peter came to an age where he was obsessed with frogs. And he liked to pick up frogs. The boy can catch frogs like nobody's business. He used to catch lizards too, and then one of them bit his hand. It's all over. But <laughs> he still likes to catch frogs. And I had a kind of a decision to make as a dad because part of me is like, well, that's just, you know, being a boy is you just. I don't know. It almost seems like part of what a boy has to do to figure out his relationship to the animal kingdom. You know, he's going to be sometimes a little too rough or whatever. Uh, but I decided, you know what? I feel like the boy can learn to be a good steward. He can pick up a frog, but he ought to take care of the frog. He can enjoy the frog. He can carry the frog around. But set the frog down gently. <laughs> Put the frog down somewhere nice. Don't dangle him around by his foot or drop him on the concrete. And I thought, this is an easy way to teach the boy from an early age 
that we are stewards of God's earth and that we are to take care of God's earth. I would suggest that we should teach our kids not to torture cats. We've got, that's been going on a long time now, y'all, as long as there have been people. Um, I'm not the biggest cat fan in the world. But we've got this book of like nursery rhymes, you know, and that I read to Hadley and Peter. And in those nursery rhymes, there's one about a boy who throws a cat in a well, and then another boy comes and rescues the cat, you know. So not all boys are evil, but anyway, some of them throw cats in wells. Teach your children not to do that. <laughs> Teach them to be good stewards of the animal kingdom as well. Someday Peter will grow up. He'll probably do some hunting and fishing. We just got him a fishing rod. He was practicing with his Spider-Man fishing rod. Pretty excited about it. Teach them, though, that it's not just a sport. It's not just recreation. There's something special about hunting and fishing. I think I, It's hard to put your finger on exactly what all it is. I think it connects us to our ancestors in some ways. It teaches... Uh, survival skills and maybe in another sense you know at some point they may need to kill something to eat and they can do it they've had some experience I think all that's good I think it does it connects us with just like planting your own garden and growing the food and taking it there's something about uh, going out and hunting an animal and eating it that seems good unless you don't like it it probably doesn't seem good to you, but I think that there's something good about that. Maybe for boys in particular. Connects them to their forefathers and more. It, but it should be something where, where you're, they have a sense of being a steward of God's creation. They're not just going out there to shoot guns and mow down animals for the fun of it, Right? There should be a respect. Not a, not like a weird religious thing where you're like uh, almost deifying the animal like some cultures have done in the past. But caring for it. Like, like a shepherd that would care for his sheep and someday he's going to need to slaughter that sheep and eat it. But it's a sheep that he's cared for. So he doesn't do that lightly or flippantly. But purposefully. These are all ways that we can interact personally with this topic. And you can think of more, no doubt. But what about when this topic of environmentalism comes up in our culture? And how do you navigate these conversations with people that, you know maybe come from a different political perspective than you. I think it's hard for, um, you know, most of the people in this church, not all, we, uh, some, we have people who come from different political perspectives that listen with us, that worship with us, and we should be mindful of that and not just talk as though we assume everyone thinks the same thing as we do, because we may end up offending someone, but just that's an aside, bonus. So don't take for granted that everyone thinks the same way as you. But by and large, most of us come from a more conservative slant on things. And it's easy to hear uh, the left end of things uh, 
cry wolf on this issue of the environment a lot. Like Al Gore, I'm pretty sure, predicted after he created the internet that, that the world should have ended by now. That at least the ice caps should have all melted and apocalypse should have taken place. I can't remember the exact date that was supposed to happen, but it, we've, we've moved past it, thankfully. And then, you know, recently the, the Green New Deal comes out and now we're told we have 12 years before the world ends and that better get on it. And it's easy to say, yeah, heard that before. And it's easy to react and say, there is no wolf, right? Like, we've heard him cry wolf. Now we're just not going to believe that there is a wolf. <laughs> like, that's the kind of natural human tendency. And I'm not making an argument one way or the other for things, but just don't throw out the baby with the bathwater, right? Don't, don't assume that because uh, this side's screaming, take care of the environment, that we should just, pfft, no, not doing it, <laughs> right? That'd be the wrong response. You may disagree on policy. Uh, you may disagree on timelines. Uh, you may disagree on how much effect humankind is having. But I don't think anyone's signing up to say, yeah, all that pollution, that's good. Sign me up for some more of that. Move that you know, smokestack into my backyard. I like that stuff. You know, a little more carbon is what we need. <laughs> some more emissions. You know, give me one of those old cars that puts out the smoke like nobody's... I want to drive around in that. You know, no one's saying that. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> right now, our rivers are polluted and they're flowing into the ocean and they're polluting the ocean. Our gulf right now is in a dire straits from what I've read in the news. I don't know if you've seen any of that. It doesn't make the news as much as maybe it should, but uh, fisheries are being destroyed. People's livelihoods, they're having a really bad year. They said this year uh, there's almost twice as many dolphins dead as usual by this time of year. And they find them all messed up from pollution stuff. This is going on. Should we care? It's hard to know what to do about it sometimes. Hard to know how much what you do personally can affect it. But we should care. We should expect our leaders to care. Even if it's unpopular for their particular party platform to care about the environment, we should do our part to demand that they do. There's more than one way to address the environment. Sometimes in our political system, we get handed, you know, a platform. And it's not always that helpful. Nonetheless, we should care. We should demand that our leaders, our representatives care. And when this comes up with friends and family, to me, it should be one of the easier ones to address. Just to say, look, you know, we may not see eye to eye on policy and details, but I am for a healthy environment. I'm for a healthy planet. I am for taking care of what God has entrusted to us. Because no one should be more devoted to the best possible care of the earth and all it holds than Christians. Each week we've also asked the question, how will we as a church deal with this issue? I'm not sure that whether we'll be doing much social action-wise. If you've got an idea for a 
recycling drive or something, go for it. But we have been switching over to LEDs and things like that. We've got toilets that flush less water and there's probably more that we could do. We've got some really old windows in some parts of this building that maybe at some point we need to get swapped out for something that'll be a little more efficient. Maybe you can think of some other things that we can do as a church. Let us know. Uh, little things. I didn't tell him I was going to do this, so I may get in trouble later, but I'll just brag on Nick for a second. Nick Trichel. And if I get this wrong, uh, Nick can tell me later and I'll fix it next time. But Nick made a, a resolution at the beginning of the year to not use uh, things, containers for drinking in that are not reusable, you know, like non-reusable containers. I don't know the official term for that. And so uh, if you see him walking around with a coffee mug instead of a styrofoam cup, don't assume that he's crazy <laughs> or that he's just, why does he get a fancy mug and I don't? Uh, this is <laughs> his being purposeful. And I applaud him for it. And, uh, you know, it's good to see him. And I find myself trying to do better with that. There's little ways that each of us can take steps uh, to at least have it on our radar. We need to be better stewards of what God entrusted to us. And that includes more than what's in our bank account. He's entrusted the earth to us. We are stewards of God's good creation. Let's try and get very good at it. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your incredible creation. We love to look at it. We love to be in it. It tells us something about you. God, we confess that too often we take it for granted and we take our responsibilities for it too lightly. So Holy Spirit, help us to cut through the politics, to find ways that we can do the best job possible of caring for this world and all you've placed in it. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.